0: It's a wonder we understand each other at all because we look at the world through our assumptions and our insecurities. But I also think we look at the world through a lot of things that never actually take place, which is what I want to read you now. So the question is, my boyfriend never texts me first. I have to text him first. And after that, he often doesn't text me back. Can you please tell me why? That's the question. So this is my answer. I walk into a yoga class and I feel so stiff. I spent Thanksgiving weekend with my family in L.A. and I have not done yoga for several days. I worry this class is going to be difficult and that I'm not going to enjoy it. I feel stiff. That's a fact. The rest is just a story. My coworker is acting really aloof. Is it me? Did I do something to offend him? Is he mad at me? It's true that my coworker is aloof. The rest is just a story. I text someone and he doesn't text me back. I spin out. Why isn't he texting me? Does he not care? Does he not want me? Is he not interested? Is he with someone else? Why is this happening to me? It's true that he's not texting me. The rest is just a story. Be very aware of the things that are facts and the things that you add. Whatever it is that you're adding is just a story. I know that sometimes the suffering is in the thing, but mostly it's in the stories.
1: Thanks for pressing play. That voice you just heard is one of the most prolific writers on planet Earth, my dear friend and our guest today, Dushka Zapata. And this is Christopher Lockhead. Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real dialogues that celebrate the amazing people who are making our world a different place. We're sponsored by our good friends at Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com slash different. And while you're there, you'll be able to set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. That's netsuite.com slash different. Dushka, if you're a regular listener, you know, is one of my favorite people. Uh, I think she's one of the most important writers in the world. She's definitely one of the most prolific writers in the world. Her work has been viewed over 135 million times. And I believe uh, she's got a brand new book out. I believe it's her eighth book. And on question uh, and answer site, Cora, um, she is a bona fide rock star. And her new book is called You Belong Everywhere, and other things you'll have to see yourself. Come on, how great. Her t- the titles of her books are truly legendary. We have a fun, powerful, life-affirming conversation that I know you're going to love. Go to Lockhead.com for more on Dushka and uh, figure out how to pick up a copy of her new book. Um, and her books make a great, great gift. Now, hey-ho, let's go.
0: How I think. Um, I don't think it's a deliberate writing style. I think um, it's just how my brain works. Um, I I don't know. I, whenever I'm in a meeting and I say this, I do this verbally. People look at me like I've completely lost my mind, and then they see me bringing it back to the original point. And I just think that when you write something, people have more of an appetite to be entertained, so they they come along with you. But it's it's not anything that I do deliberately or that I devised or any specific style. It's just how I how I think. And when I read the question, my brain goes right to whatever the answer is going to be. It's not something I concoct.
1: So and this is going to sound way like I've seriously lived on the West Coast too long. But so you're channeling the answer as much as you are writing the answer.
0: Um. Well, so that's actually a really interesting question because um, when I feel that I'm writing, when I'm ha- like, I, I love writing, and I think writing it makes me feel different ways. I think sometimes I feel really happy, and sometimes I feel very intensely interested or involved. But on the best days, it feels like someone is writing through me. And I actually have read that a lot of people feel this way when you're when you're doing something um, that you, that is very close to your heart. When you're like writing a song or like playing the guitar, like all of a sudden you feel like you're kind of some sort of. Uh, Conduit for, for something else and I, I have felt that I don't feel it every day. I wish I did It's the best feeling in the world, but I, I, most of the time. I don't feel I'm channeling something it's just the way I have I just have a very specific type of logic and um, I, I put things together in a way that I didn't realize was unusual until I started writing about it and so writing is a way to make your thoughts become visible and um because of people being interested in how i write i i realize that it's entertaining but it isn't anything that i do i don't think how can i how can i take the long way to answer this question mostly i i think how can i make this answer clear what what was it in my life for example there's a question that you were talking about earlier today about ballet and you know about ballet lessons and i've never taken ballet lessons so i can't approach it from the point of ballet but i have my own experience about it so i have to sort of show you what that what that is to make my point
1: yeah i love it the 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 question is is there an age where it is where it no longer makes any sense to take ballet lessons
0: yeah you want me to read you the answer
1: i i you know duska duska my love (laughs) all right i fucking love it when, when you read to me and as we were talking about earlier Uh, I've had a grumpy 24 hours, and so I have been coveting this time with you. So, yes, my love, please read to me.
0: (laughs) I love that you love that I read to you, and I actually think you're really going to like this answer. Okay, so to reiterate the question, is there an age where it no longer makes sense to take ballet lessons? And this is my answer. A couple of years ago, I enrolled in a yoga teacher training to become a certified yoga teacher. I did this with no intention of ever teaching. When I finished this course and got my certification, I enrolled in another course for yoga therapeutics to assist students into proper alignment. Still no intention to ever teach. Friends often ask me why I did all this work if I did not intend to apply it. I decided that not everywhere I went needed to come with a destination, and that the notion of doing things for the sheer joy they brought me made more life sense to me. If I approach everything thinking it has to have a purpose, everything I set out to do becomes more intimidating than it needs to be. I make it harder for myself to experience new things. I want to study what interests me to understand it better, and it doesn't matter if what I learn is ever put to use. Learning is its own reward, and the same holds true for everything. Curiosity reveals new paths that are meant to be explored. Maybe it killed the cat, but fortunately I'm not a cat. I remained in a job for years because the decision to leave seemed terrifying and final. I didn't walk away until it dawned on me that if I did, I could return at any time. When we are all tangled up, we can't see, but decisions are almost never as big as we make them out to be. Everything changes anyway. Quora is a great example. I spend time here because I like it. So many people ask me where I'm going with it or what it's all for. I have no answers for either of these questions, but can tell you that my largely senseless zest has so far resulted in six books. If I had set out to write six books, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Writing on Quora sounds like play. Writing books sounds daunting. Regardless of how seriously we take things, the truth is life life is more than anything, the art of going nowhere. Please take ballet lessons. Take them at 13, take them at 20, take them at 40, and take them at 90. Ballet is so beautiful, and it will keep you healthy and limber and connected to something you love. More importantly, do many senseless things. That is what I would recommend to anyone who has ever felt stuck.
1: Holy shit, I'm just writing down half of what you said. Could you read that last, maybe that last paragraph or so?
0: Um, Yes, hold on. Maybe
1: where you start with the art of going nowhere. Like that? Oh, my God.
0: Um, If I had set out to write six books, I would not have been able to do it. Writing on Quora sounds like play. Writing books sounds daunting. Regardless of how seriously we take things, the truth is that life is more than anything the art of going nowhere. Please take ballet lessons. Take them at 13, take them at 20, take them at 40, and take them at 90. Ballet is so very beautiful, and it will keep you healthy and limber and connected to something you love. More importantly, do many senseless things. This is what I would recommend to anyone who has ever felt stuck. That because the do, the truth is that any form of, of emotional paralysis comes from the fact that you're f- afraid that you're afraid that it's not going to serve a purpose, or you're afraid that you're going to fail, or you're afraid that you can't do that, or you're afraid of what people are going to think. But then, if you do things just for the heck of it, then suddenly trying new things is less daunting. So that's I love, what I do. I many
1: senseless things.
0: Do many senseless things.
1: Oh, I got a I got a black belt in senseless things.
0: <laughs> yes, me too. I'm a I'm a senseless thing expert.
1: Oh, fucking A, Dushka.
0: In every possible walk of life, I do all kinds of senseless things, to varying yeah. degrees of, of, you know, disaster. One of my books is called A Spectacular Catastrophe and Other Things I Recommend.
1: Oh, I love that. I tell people that's one of my favorite book titles of all time. The, of course, the other things I recommend part is what makes it spectacular.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I am actually, my, my seventh book is coming out. It's coming out, um, I want to say May, but just to not be so risky, I'm going to say this summer.
1: Okay. Well, will you come back and read more to me as the book comes out?
0: I will read any time to you, any have, time.
1: Have us be part of your book launch. That would be fucking great.
0: I would so, be happy.
1: So what's, what are we, are we declaring the name yet or what are we? Yeah.
0: Are we um, so I have to explain a little bit um, what, like the background. Um, I have been in many situations where I go through a life experience with someone like you and I go on a trip or, we experienced something together at a company that you used to work with or whatever. And I recount the story of what, of like my recollection of it. And then the people that were there with me, like, look at me and they're like, you know, it's not so much that you're not telling the truth. It's that that's really, you know, not exactly what happened. And I I find that fascinating because I've, I've known for a long time that I look at things differently than other people. I think that that's what makes me, um worth reading like what i write worth reading because it's less about what happened and more about my perspective about it but um i just think it's really interesting that what i consider a recount of what happened is completely different if like my brother was there and he tells the story or or my mom will say um you know that that's not exactly how that happened. And it's, it's interesting because they, they don't accuse me of like lying, but they, but they all often remind me that I have a certain poetic license, right? To say things in a different way, to tell a better story, except that I know that that's not what I'm doing. I'm recounting it as accurately as I can.
1: So you don't feel like you're embellishing or.
0: I I really genuinely don't.
1: This is Um, kind of how you experienced it.
0: Exactly. It's it's the way that I saw it. And I'll, I'll tell you a story about, about this in, in, in a second, but, um, uh, the book is about my, my childhood and stories with my family because I think that I come from a family that is just like absolutely surreal. And um, I told I like shared a few of the stories with my siblings, and most of my siblings look at me and say that like, we can't believe that you saw it that way. Like they usually, I have a, a very uh, optimistic perspective on something or like a very positive spin on something, and they you know don't necessarily. And so the book is called This Is How I Remember It. Um, to, to sort of uh, nullify any, um, you know, it, it basically, if I remember a certain way, and you remember it a certain way, and we don't remember it the same way, neither one is an authority of it. We just have different recollections of it. So I, I, I'm calling the book, This Is How I Remember It, about my childhood.
1: Now, do you tend to agree with your family that maybe you uh, take poetic license, or you have a... I don't know, more romantic or more philosophical or more somehow unique way of looking at it. That do you agree with them, or do you think um, no, it, it was this way? You just didn't see it, or how how is it for you this interpretation of what they say about your different uh, memories?
0: Well, I'll, let me let me answer that with a with a with an anecdote. So my, when my dad died, it, we were all standing around his bed, so we 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 saw him dying and. Basically, we were all present, and my sister was standing next to me, and I was looking at him dying. Literally, he was on his deathbed dying, and I turned around to her, and I said, "We were very tired. It had been a, just a terrible, terrible couple of weeks." And I turned to her. We were standing together, in the basically side by side in front of his bed, at the at the feet of his bed, at the foot of his bed. And I turned to her and I said, "I don't understand why no one told me death was this beautiful." And she looked at me and she said, "What the fuck are you talking about?" she She was mad that I said that, and so I wasn't recounting something I remembered. I was actually talking about something that was happening right in front of me and I turned to her again and I said, "Look at the light it was It was like four in the morning and she she just was look. she just looked at me in exasperation and i I just was like, "This is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen and i wasn't I, I, I was incredibly sad and I, I I remember that time as just I felt powerless, and you know a lot of other things. But I also have an immense amount of, of, of just like of just an incredible beauty that I feel. Even like I feel it blooming in my chest when I talk about it. My dad um, had dementia. He died of cancer, but he had severe dementia, and the last few days of his life were like a dementia freefall. He was just losing his 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 grasp on reality really, really fast. And, um, at one point he turned and looked at me and I could see in his eyes, just like he was so there, like he could see me and he knew who I was and he grabbed my hand. He could barely move. He, he was, he was, he was in bed, like just barely moving. And he squeezed my hand and he said, thank you so much for being here. And I looked into his eyes and I said, I'm here because you are the best father on the planet. And he closed his eyes and he went, oh my God. And that was the last thing I ever said to him. And if you talk to my sister or my siblings, their recollection of that night is completely different. So am I lying? Absolutely not. And was there light in the room when he was dying? According to my sister, there wasn't. But I know what I saw and I know what I felt. And I feel like um, it, it actually feels really emotional to me to talk about memory, because if we don't remember things right, who, well, what are we? Who are we? So I feel really strongly about the way that I remember things. And it, I, it matters to me that other people claim that I'm not recounting something right. And usually the, the 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 attitude around it is like, oh, you know, that's how you see things. And I think that's the gift. Like, I'm, I'm so happy that the way that I remember things is like that. I, I'll tell you another brief story that I've also written about that I found so incredible. Um, I work on Market Street. I work on 6th and Market. And it's a very, very rough neighborhood. There's a lot of... Uh, just poverty and like drug use. And just like one of the, I think it's just one of the poorest neighborhoods in the world, not just San Francisco, but it's also very heavy with like mental illness. So there's a sense of that you're surrounded by things that are erratic. And I find this neighborhood just incredibly nuanced and interesting. And I see a lot of things that I just find just so like a metaphor for life, which is another thing that you asked me, like, do I think I see things differently? And I think everything to me is a metaphor for life, not, not intentionally, it's just how I see it. Anyway, I was standing on the, on, the, on the bus stop and I was wearing a pair of cowboy boots that had flowers on them. And a woman walked over to me and she was delirious. She was half dressed, she was like wrapped in a old dusty blanket and um, her hair was all over the place. And um, she walked over to me and I, sort of averted eye contact in the beginning because, you know, you just have to sort of mark your space. I felt a little bit threatened. And she walked over to me and she said, oh my God, those boots are so beautiful. And it was like so endearing the way she said it that I said, I leaned into her and I said, thank you so much. And she said, oh my God. And she just like looked closer at them and she said, oh my God, are they painted? Oh, they're not painted, they're embroidered. And she was like so enchanted. She's like, they're full of flowers and they're embroidered. And I looked right at her and I said, Thank you so much. I'm so happy you like them. Thank you so much. And she just stared into my eyes and she goes, Oh, I see. You wear these boots because you're always standing in the most beautiful garden. And I was just stunned. Like I was like, How did you know that? And I got on the bus and I wrote the story immediately and like posted it right away. And I told people about the story the next day. And what I just kept thinking was, maybe these people see things we don't see. And we are the ones who have some kind of mental inability to like grasp, you know, many things. And people are like, that Dushka like, you know, you were standing in a bus stop and someone told you that you had beautiful boots. And I'm like, you don't understand what I saw. Like, we just like looked at each other's eyes. Like it was crazy. I don't know. So I write things the way I experience them.
1: Yes. And I think it would be safe to say uh, that you and I are present to different things.
0: I think that that holds true of everyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, this is a side note, chasing a zebra down a rabbit hole. But um, I have a friend who's a shaman, which actually is that's a great. That might be a good name for a book, right? It is,
0: and I also think I met your friend who's a shaman. I think we were at a party together, and we were the only people that, like, started talking to each other and ignoring everybody else.
1: That's right. You did meet him. Yeah. And uh, his name is uh, Sensei Sitan Pat.
0: Your friend the shaman is also my friend the
1: shaman. Yes. And he has this theory, and I'm not going to do it justice at all, um, but it's something around that, uh, people who are the, like that, you know, that most people call in our world, um, you know, having some kind of a mental problem or they're psychotic or they're, you know, whatever it is. Whatever, I don't know what terms people use anymore for any of these things, but somebody who's having some kind of mental deficiencies, they're talking to themselves, they're whatever it is, or, or they're just a peculiar woman you had this conversation with, or whatever the fuck they, he thinks the same thing that they are connected to a different something, part yeah. of the universe and they're yeah. communicating things to us that are really important. And, and most of us aren't paying attention and he ha- holds them in a very sort of, uh, high regard. Like there's something very spiritually important happening with people who are, I'll just say that different.
0: You know, when the day, the day before my, like, the last 4 days of my dad's death life were super crazy because he like very quickly he went from like having trouble walking to having trouble standing to having trouble sitting to having trouble moving like very fast. Um, he, he had, um, colon cancer that had metastasized everywhere, but it was in his liver. And I think he was just had the, this high level of toxicity in his brain. And if you combine that with the dementia, it was just like surreal. And the night before he died, he went to, over to my room and he knocked, he banged on the door and he said, please come. My, my room is full of scorpions. And I, I, I just was looking at him because he's my dad and he, he like was always the one who like was looking at things from a, just a reasonable side, and I it was just very difficult for me to recognize this other person who just wasn't making any sense. So I looked at him and I went, dad, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Like, what do you mean scorpions? And he was like, you have to come. The bed is full of scorpions. And I was like, okay. And so I walked him over to his room and I basically uh, threw the blankets back. And I said, look, and I ran my hand over the sheets and I said, there are no scorpions. Look, see, there are no scorpions. Do you see? And he looks at me and he's like, yes, but he's like clinging to me. He's like terrified. And that night I like put him back in bed and I covered him and I lay beside him and I just held him. And I was like, I'm not going to get any sleep, but like, he's terrified. And, um, the first sensation I had was that when someone is going through something difficult, even when you're lying there holding them, we just need to get through some things on our own. Like we are alone in a lot of things that we go through, even when someone is right there. And that was my first sensation. But my second sensation was he's not talking about scorpions anymore. So at least in some level i'm helping anyway he died and we cleaned up his room and we were like moving things around and he had a fireplace in front of the bed that had a bunch of like firewood piled on it and i grabbed one of the pieces of firewood to throw it into the fire and there was a scorpion underneath and i was just like oh my god i don't know what to do with this like i i don't know what to do with this and i don't i don't know what the connection is like maybe he saw it earlier in the day and it just got distorted in his brain or something. But the, the experience that I had with my bed is full of scorpions on that day. And then the next day was completely different. I was like, he was seeing something. Um, he would say to me, tell your, tell my mother that I'm on my way because her, his mom died many years ago.
1: Mm-hmm. And he
0: was just like looking at things that I couldn't see. And it, yeah. it also gave me the sensation that it wasn't that the things weren't there, but rather that I couldn't see them.
1: Yes. Yes. And isn't that an interesting thing that when somebody's expressing something that makes no sense to us?
0: Absolutely. And we, I, I mean, we must express, yeah, we must express things that make no sense to other people all the time. I mean, it, it, it's just a wonder that I we understand. I know I do.
1: I got decades of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, have, I, I often think it's just a miracle that we understand each other at all. You know, we all live in different worlds.
1: It is interesting, isn't it? I mean, when you really step back, we all are experiencing something that is a uh, 100% unique to us, and we assume everybody's experiencing something similar to us, and they're not.
0: They're not. Also, we see the world through our assumptions and through our insecurities. Um, so much of what we see is filtered through our insecurities. It's astounding. And What's
1: more about that?
0: Well, um, someone is grumpy and in a bad mood. My boss is in, is in a bad mood. And th- to be fair, he's never in a bad mood, but I'll just give this example. He's, I'll tell you what, He is. his head is somewhere else. And I think, oh my God, what did I do? And the fact that his head is in somewhere else has nothing to do with me, you know? Or someone cuts me off when I'm driving and I go, oh my God, that guy like has it in for me. And he didn't even see me. So there's so many things that we think are about us that have nothing to do with us, nothing yes, and we process everything right. as if and we were the, um,
1: it. you must know this expression, don't take life so personally
0: yeah, absolutely right? I write I mean, about.
1: but we all take it so personally, and when in point of fact, even when it's directed at you, it's not personal the, the somebody giving you the finger on the highway or even somebody in your family screaming at you it says a lot more about them than you, absolutely, right, so
0: yeah, but even when it is
1: directed at us. <laughs>
0: I write so much about taking things personally. Um, I actually am pulling something else up that I want to read you that is, that is not, um, I just have to find it. It's not, um, it's not exactly about looking at life through your insecurities, but it's about another thing that we do that, uh, hold on, um, it's called, uh, um, so we look at life through our insecurities, but we also, okay, here's the question. Let me read it to you. It's actually very similar to the question that you were using as an example of me going in a different direction, but I'll tell you the question. Uh, the hold on. Right
1: before I you do that, I was, I, I was trying to come up, you know, cause my brain goes to what's the category of writer that you are. And it's, it's like, it, there's definitely a non sequitur thing that happens right off the top. <laughs> but right? I, so,
0: think I think that's
1: not big. think. I I know, but it's like, how do I decide if I should pick a new job? And it's like, well, one day I was on a hike with boyfriend and and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And we're now we're in the Redwoods with boyfriend. And so there's there's an immediate whack of a non sequitur where you say, okay, if we're going to deal with this topic, we're we're going to we're going on a magical mystery tour and you're coming with me. Right. So that's the first piece. And then. And then that immediately, of course, is to set up a story. So there's this non-sequitur jar, like a bit of a... But it's, it can be very gentle, but it's, it's, it's surprising. Let me say it that way. Yeah. And then there's a take my hand, I'm going to take you on this magical mystery tour. And then you're like, all right, Duska, I'm going to start reading about the butterflies and the whatevers. And I'm going to see where this fucking thing goes, right? And then <laughs> da, 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 da we go on this thing. And at the end, I feel better and whatever the question or concern was might not be answered, but it's it's definitely in a, in a different, I would say, uh, better place. So I don't know. What what the fuck would we call that <laughs> other than just- I don't
0: know. Me, let me read you another example for it, okay, but let, let's me tie, it. let me tie it to what we were saying before. So basically I said, it's a wonder we understand each other at all because we look at the world through our assumptions and our insecurities. But I also think we look at the world through a lot of things that never actually take place, which is what I want to read you now. So the question is, My boyfriend never texts me first. I have to text him first. And after that, he often doesn't text me back. Can you please tell me why? That's the question. So this is my answer. I walk into a yoga class and I feel so stiff. I spent Thanksgiving weekend with my family in LA and I have not done yoga for several days. I worry this class is going to be difficult and that I'm not going to enjoy it. I feel stiff. That's a fact. The rest is just a story. My coworker is acting really aloof. Is it me? Did I do something to offend him? Is he mad at me? It's true that my coworker is aloof. The rest is just a story. I text someone and he doesn't text me back. I spin out. Why isn't he texting me? Does he not care? Does he not want me? Is he not interested? Is he with someone else? Why is this happening to me? It's true that he's not texting me. The rest is just a story. Be very aware of the things that are fact and the things that you add. Whatever it is that you're adding is just a story. I know that sometimes the suffering is in the thing, but mostly it's in the stories.
1: Oh, um, amen. Hallelujah. Is that in one of the books? Yes. Which book is that?
0: I actually think that that's going to be in the, in the new book, I think. In, um, this is how I remember it.
1: So, I think there's a chance that this theme you are on here is, I don't know. I don't know how to put a number on it. One of the 10 most important things to understand as a human being.
0: The, the whatever you add is just a story.
1: The distinction between um, there is a something happens that is indisputable and then there's the story that we have about it and we conflate the two. I do too. This is not I. No, it's, I, I it's, the, human. it's human to do it. And so here's a simple example I have. I love this term fake news. Yes. Well, it turns out Almost all news is fake news. And here's why I say that. When the weatherman says in San Francisco, it's going to be a nice day today. Or in San Francisco, it's going to get a little cool this afternoon. So you might want to bring a sweater. Yeah. That's all story. That's all interpretation. I might, I don't know if, if it's going to be 58. Maybe I don't want a sweater at 58. Maybe I, whatever the fuck. Right. So, so the news is the facts are the forecast for San Francisco today is a high of 58 partial fog in the morning, whatever the details are. Right. But those are and they are expressed as such. Then we roll to, and it's going to be a nice day. That's a fucking interpretation, but we take, we take it as if it's all fact is if it's all the news and we get confused that there's what happened there's the thing which is undeniable it rained today i got wet and then there's the oh i don't like that i got rained or maybe i loved it i ran in the rain it was whatever the fuck it is right um but we conflate the actual fact of what happened with all of our interpretations and assumptions and beliefs and values Yeah,
0: and and i think most of all our insecurities are conflated with, the, with our ego because we, half of it is I'm insecure and think that people think less of me or whatever. And the other half is me thinking I'm the center of the world. So let me read you this because this is where I explain this and it's pretty much along the same lines. This is something I wrote, not on Quora, I wrote it on, I think I wrote it on Facebook or, or LinkedIn or something. Um, the easiest way to suffer less is to embrace the fact that I'm not the center of the world. If my boss is looking stressed, I might say, wow, he's so busy, rather than, oh my God, what did I do? If at the end of a difficult day, someone on the bus pushes me with his backpack, I can rush it off instead of wondering why I'm so often treated disrespectfully. If a lover or friend says he will call and doesn't, I assume that he has stuff going on rather than allowing my brain to spin out. Why does everyone flake out on me? Why does no one come through for me? If I'm rejected in any way, I realize, despite the burn, that there are many factors at play behind this rejection that are not even related to me. When I'm in the middle of change, rather than assuming the end of the world, I conclude that maybe when everything shakes out, things will turn out better for me. Not because the universe conspires in my favor, but because I believe in myself and and the fact that I have my own back. Talking about change, it's okay if things don't go as planned, because I can be spontaneous without being erratic. Most of all, I don't say horrible things about myself. I realize I can trip up, mess up, and make a ton of wrong decisions, and still fundamentally be a cool person. The same is true for you. And I think a lot of what makes us suffer is the very fact that we insist on putting ourselves at the center. And most of the things that happen around us have nothing to do with us. And most of the stories we make up don't actually exist. Yes. And most of the things that make us suffer have not actually happened. Yes. And most of the things we remember are not the way we remember them.
1: Yeah. And as you get older, you realize you don't remember the bad times in in detail
0: that's my case i don't remember my case yeah so i remember that i was with my family but i don't remember that it was raining or i remember that my dad said i love you and i don't remember that he was difficult or
1: sometimes i can remember that guy is an asshole and i don't like him but i don't know why (laughs)
0: that's super interesting
1: (laughs) i mean i have a vague memory but I just know for sure he's <laughs> so. I,
0: I think that that's that's like a pretty pretty strong self preservation instinct, right? Because if someone, if you don't like someone and you want to stay away from them, your brain is like, "I'm going to remind you that you want to stay away." And why yes. it doesn't matter, you know?
1: That's right. That it's true. I mean, in some cases, you know, on the really big ones, you remember. But um, you actually, you know what? I take that back. I'm not even sure that's true. I, I think it's. It's easy to, uh, to forget, uh, just to, to, to have the flag.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember, no. I know that I remember things in, in the best light, and it's not something that I, it's not a deliberate, intentional thing. It's just how my brain works, which I think is really fortunate because I'm a very happy person.
1: It's hard to have a happy life and not be optimistic.
0: Yes, I think so too.
1: Yeah. Now, you said something in there. You said, I have my own back. Yes. Yeah. What's that about? What, what do you mean by that?
0: Well, I feel that I've gone through a lot of difficult things and I've managed to go come through very well. Like I, I feel like if, if life has taught me anything is it's that I can figure things out. And that okay. makes me feel confident that I can, like I trust myself and that makes me feel like I can, it makes me just, it makes me feel whenever I'm nervous about something or afraid of something, I think if I've worked it out in the past, I'm probably going to work it out again.
1: Yes. like
0: I, I, I feel it's like I have a, yeah, I have a, I have a fundamental sense that I'm going to work it out.
1: My buddy, Bruce Cleveland, um, who's got an awesome new book out um, called Traversing the Traction Gap. He's an entrepreneur turned VC. Anyway, one of the many awesome things this guy does is he teaches at Babson College. And so he asked me to come and, uh, you know, spend an afternoon with his uh, entrepreneurial MBA class. And, It was sort of, I gave a talk and then did a bunch of Q&A. And one of the questions I got asked um, by a gal, interestingly enough, was how do I develop more confidence?
0: Yeah, and I think that the answer is go try difficult things to prove yourself that you can do it.
1: That's what I said. Exactly. And then what I added to it was, and here's what it's not about. Good try. a girl. Yeah, no, it's we have gotten fucked up in thinking that somehow the way you build confidence is you stroke somebody and you make them no, feel no. good. No,
0: no. It actually is getting through something difficult, but also not not necessarily getting through something hard successfully. So for example, I my divorce. I mean, I was married for 15 years to a man I deeply loved and who now is a really good friend and I I, I look back on that He's and I a think great guy, that
1: dude and you guys went through some real shit together, man. You,
0: yeah, we were, life. I mean, we were together 15 years, it was 15 formative years and he is a dear, dear friend now. But my point is I look back on that and I go, I'm still alive. I divorced Luca and I am still alive. And that means I can go through anything. So I might be afraid, but I look yeah, back you sat on in
1: that. the room with your dad. Yes. On the way like, out.
0: Absolutely. Right. I, Absolutely, I I remember thinking that day I will never come into this room again, ever. That I can't, I just can't bear it. And the next morning, I was like, I like um, jumped up the stairs. I was like, what could be worse than last night? So I'm not even talking about experiences that you that you succeed at. I'm just saying I'm yes. still here. I'm still here. And if I could, if I could, if I'm still here after that, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I'm going to be okay. And not, and that's something you have to prove to yourself. It's not something anyone can just hand to you.
1: Yeah. And so I said exactly that to this gal. I said, what you do is you go get the most legendary job you can get. She wanted to be in investment banking. And so we talked about some things there. And then I said, and then you want to be the person on the toughest things.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And you want to prove to yourself and prove to them over and over and over again, So go stretch yourself real hard and put yourself in tough positions.
0: Exactly. Yes. Absolutely.
1: Confidence comes from.
0: It is absolutely 100%. I
1: said to them, this is going to sound immodest, but what the fuck? I said, do I, do I sound like somebody giving my first talk? Right. And they said, no. I said, all right. Do I sound like somebody who's confident in front of a room full of people giving a talk? And they said, yes. And I said, okay, here's how that happens. I've done this over a thousand fucking times.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is so not my it, first
1: rock and roll show.
0: Yeah, so I can sit with you and tell you until I'm blue in the face that you would be a good public speaker, but it's not until you stand on stage and realize that you're not gonna get devoured by the audience and that you're gonna be okay, that you remember. And then the next time it's a little bit less scary. And and there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, perpetually scared of certain things. Like it it it's not that the fear goes away, but the answer to your fear is I've done this before we've survived this before it's really I think it's just the only antidote to facing anything and it also makes you resilient basically you become less tolerant to bullshit because you're like I don't have to put up with this anymore I know that I can I can I can leave this situation I can leave this job I can leave this relationship I can leave whatever this is and I'm going to be okay and I've gone through enough things of, of every nature of jobs and relationships and family and death and all kinds of things. Like I know that I'm going to be okay because I am now. I'm still here.
1: Yeah. And um, I have a sense of where you might land on this, but I'm very curious to to hear it from you. Um, I have this belief that everything you just talked about, at least in my life, is um, uh, materially uh, impacted by me being physical and so what i mean by that specifically is for me to be the way you just described in my life um doing things like yoga and pilates and all this stuff seems to really help like i did pilates this morning right
0: well i'll tell you i'll, I'll give you a a, a a sort of like a tangential related answer but i i go to yoga i go to, i do some kind of exercise at the very least five times a week at the yeah. very and i do it for my brain Right. Like if I'm fit, that's like an awesome collateral advantage. But really, what I'm trying to do is remain sane. And I, I, we were not built to be sedentary. We were built to fight or fly. To, you and know, I also fighter. find
1: specifically being put in challenging situations, like you know, in my Pilates, just like I, I feel like mostly incompetent for probably eighty percent of the Pilates class all the time. Like yeah. she, she puts me in these positions, and I just start laughing. I'm like, yeah. okay, what are you going to make me do next? Fart my way to the moon? Like, what are you talking well, don't. I don't even know what you just said. I don't even understand it. Like, you know, it's just, it's the most ridiculous because, you know, as you probably know, they pinpoint very specific things. And anyway, it just, I. I guess my point is, A, being physical and at least B, for me, doing physical things that are a challenge that require yes. the, what, you know, the mind body connection or whatever, right? Like, no, no, it's true.
0: But also if you think you can't do something and you practice it and you practice it again, what you once thought you couldn't do suddenly becomes something you can do. And that's another way to prove to yourself that you can do it. And that's purely physical, like a difficult yoga pose or a a difficult series of something or a, or a belt in karate or, you know, martial arts, like you, the only way for you to believe that you can do it is for you to come back to it every day and to,
1: go, and and to do it.
0: That you can do it. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the first time I did tree pose, yeah. I looked like a donkey.
0: I think we all look like donkeys in tree pose, and it's a beautiful calming pose. I love it.
1: And now I can stand in tree pose for a month.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Um and so And it is fun to, you know, for me, the physical seeing progression, that's cool. So I don't know, I think the things are that they're deeply, deeply connected. And I know that my life, let me say it this way, my life breaks down at least a little and sometimes a lot, when for whatever reason, I am not doing enough physically uh, to kind of be in my body and all.
0: Well, and I'll tell you, I'll, t- I'll tell you something else. If I can't exercise for whatever reason, I get incredibly resentful. And that basically means I'm mad at myself for having poor boundaries. Um, resentment is a sign that you have failed yourself and it, it's disguised as you being angry at someone else, but it's really being you, you being angry at you and that doesn't feel good. So I really try not to skip exercise. I, the last thing I want is my own wrath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wrath. I am. Yes. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not someone that I want to have be angry at me.
1: Yeah. You know what? I relate to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, listen, on that note, I have to wrap up because I have to run to a meeting, but I Perfect. literally could talk to you forever. Yes. Forever. Well, I love
1: you, Thank you for love coming you back.
0: Thank, thank you for me. inviting me.
1: Of course. You're always invited. And please come back as we're launching your new book.
0: Yes, I will. Okay. Good. Bye. Bye. Next. I love you.
1: Love you back. Bye. Yeah, Dushka Zapata, our most regular guest, and I'm so proud to say that. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes life can get you down for sure. And um, if you need a boost in your day, a little bit of Dushka will make a big difference. <laughs> now, as you know, uh, family-owned businesses are the lifeblood of the economy. However, these businesses face huge challenges, Uh, And technology can be one of those challenges managing their accounting, their inventory, dealing with spreadsheets, creating invoices, Word documents, uh, hosting websites, entry level internet hosting services, and all kinds of ad hoc technology and applications. And, you know, that stuff, and if you have disparate systems and you're trying to run and grow and scale, a family business, uh, it can lead to little visibility into operations, poor reporting, and ultimately it can stunt the growth of family businesses. So if you are in that kind of family businesses, I want to tell you about my friends at NetSuite. Um, They're really the platform for growth and they can help get rid of a lot of other uh, applications and technologies because NetSuite is a complete business management system in the cloud um, that provides family owned businesses with a powerful way to grow, thrive, adapt and change and uh, be category leaders in their niches. It's a critical to have good decision-making, get control over invoicing, billing, collections, cash, of course, your accounting, deliver excellent customer service, and um, a lot of small businesses and family businesses have multiple locations. NetSuite pulls all of that together for you in one comprehensive platform. So visit netsuite.com slash different. And as a listener to this podcast, while you're there, you'll be able to set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry who knows how to help family businesses get on top of their numbers and thrive and grow. Also, if you want to send email, uh, you can send email to us at blackhole, all one word, at Lockhead, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com. Uh, if you want to uh, check me out on Twitter and Instagram, at Lockhead. All right. We would like to thank the incomparable, the incredible, the unique, the different, the special, the legendary Dushka Zapata and her brand new book, You Belong Everywhere and Other Things You'll Have to See for Yourself. Come on, what a great title. <laughs> the incredible folks at One Life Fully Live.org. Uh, check out the website today. We got a new conference coming up in the um, back end of this year in uh, beautiful Long Beach, California. Would love to see you there. Now, if you're a growth oriented person, you're working in entrepreneurial businesses, why not check out GrowWire.com for stories of innovation and inspiration for how to grow your business, your career. Uh, There's a great YouTube channel, there's a great podcast, so check out growwire.com. And if you're trying to get back more of the thing that most of us want the most of in life, which is time, why not think about a virtual assistant with my friends at Bottleneck Virtual Assistants. Check out bottleneck.online today. Now, are you in the B2B business? Are you in Silicon Valley? If so, your website, is the first thing that people see when they get interested in your business. And my friends at Autranet have specialized for decades in building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley. Check out Autre, A-T-R-E dot N-E-T today. And the amazing folks at the Front Row Foundation. This is a nonprofit that helps people struggling with life-threatening diseases and challenges have an experience of a lifetime. And I got to tell you, I've been involved. I helped sponsor one of these experiences for a, a young gal who ultimately ended up losing her life. And it was one of the most profound things I've done um, with uh, with a charitable donation ever. Check out my friends at the thefrontrowfoundation.org. All right, I also need to remind you that this oddcast is a sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and all rights do remain disturbed. Uh, We must warn you, in case you haven't noticed, that clearly this oddcast is produced in a studio that does contain nuts. And this episode was produced by the incomparable Jamie J., edited by the legendary Sarah Parrish and Mike D., and show notes are by Roanne Nostros. Remember to teach writing skills. Never forget that a massive disadvantage can become an unfair competitive advantage. Uh, Don't be lame, get out of the passing lane. You may not know this, but in many states in the United States of America, going slow in the left-hand lane is actually a punishable offense by death. (laughs) No, but it is illegal. Don't forget to listen to Leonard Cohen, be a podcast hero, and tell two people you love about two podcasts you love. I'm always amazed. I meet people all the time who barely even know what a podcast is. So if you're somebody like me who's a podcast super consumer, why not turn people onto it and uh, um, if you're an iPhone user and you have Siri enabled, you can actually just say to your iPhone, hey Siri, subscribe to Christopher Lockhead, follow your different, and boom, they're up and running. It's a fun cocktail party trick, why not check it out? Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, mom and dad. And hey, Colin, this odd cast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Greg Clark, the now former CEO of Symantec. Sorry, Greg, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. It means the world to me that you're willing to invest part of your life uh, with me on this podcast. Please stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your difference.